Holy Spirit, please make my words drop like the rain and condense like the dew, like gentle rain on grass, like showers on new growth. Help me proclaim the name of the Lord and ascribe greatness to our God. Please be seated. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him there because he reached out his hands to the ark, and he died there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord had burst forth with an outburst upon Uzzah, so that the place was called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. He said, how can the ark come of the Lord come into my care? Our Old Testament reading this morning presents a strange story. This morning, I'd like for us to dwell on it so that we can better appreciate God's holiness. I hope to draw out three ideas from this reading and the other appointed scriptures. The first is hard news. God's holiness is rigorous and dangerous. The second is that this hard news might seem like bad news. God's holiness can appear burdensome. The third is that this news is in fact good news. God's holiness is a blessing, not a burden. The hard news first. God's holiness is rigorous and dangerous. This is easy to underestimate. It's tempting to think that God's holiness just means that God will deal kindly with us or that God will be merciful despite our sin. Of course, God does deal kindly with us and God is infinitely merciful. But his holiness means more than this. It is not safe. It is not tame. It is not mild. It is rigorous and dangerous. When we fail to appreciate this, we dishonor our God. Listen to the words of Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and pure hearts, who do not lift their souls up to what is false and do not swear deceitfully. God's holiness rejects impurity. It is so rigorous that only the pure of heart may stand in his holy place. When David wrote this psalm, the Israelites worshiped God in the tabernacle. God had specified the tabernacle's building and organization. Its layout was a reminder of God's rigorous and dangerous holiness. Picture the space where the Israelites gathered to approach God in worship. Right outside the tabernacle was the courtyard where Israelites gathered uh, uh, to, to participate in sacrifices on the, on the bronze laver and the bronze altar. The inside of the tent was off limits, except for priests. The tent had two rooms, an inner room and an outer room. The outer room, called the holy place, was open to all priests. Before entering, they were to purify themselves. Otherwise, they would die. 
In the holy place stood an altar of incense, with its top and its plates overlaid with gold. And the inner room was the holy of holies. Only the high priest could enter it, and only once a year. Before doing so, he had to perform even more complex rituals of purification. In the Holy of Holies dwelt the Ark of the Covenant, adorned and patterned with intricate gold. God's holiness was commemorated in the tabernacle's design and its restrictions. These reminders grew more vivid as one moved closer to the Holy of Holies. The items of worship grew more precious and more beautiful, bronze in the outer courtyard, gold inside the tabernacle. And the space grew more restrictive. All Israelites welcome in the courtyard, only priests in the holy place, and the high priest alone in the innermost room. And each area demanded more complex purification rituals before one could enter. I suspect that David had the tabernacle in mind with its design and its restrictions when composing Psalm 24. His question, who can stand in God's holy place was built into the tabernacle's very architecture. As one grew closer to God's rigorous, dangerous, holy presence, the space became more solemn, more beautiful and more restrictive. The centerpiece of the Holy of Holies was the Ark. The book of Numbers tells us how the law detailed rules concerning how to move it. Only a, specific, a specifically ordained group of Levites called the Kohathites were allowed to move it. And when doing so, they were not allowed to look at it or touch it with their bare hands. Instead, the high priest and his sons would first cover the Ark with a cloth and then the Kohathites would carry it on poles. God warned that anyone who violated these restrictions would die. As Ben Martinson read for us, this is what happened to Uzzah when the ark was being moved to Jerusalem. The ark was shaken by some oxen and Uzzah grabbed the ark with his hands, perhaps to steady it. And immediately God struck him down as he had warned in the law. There is more to say about this story and I'll return to it shortly. But for now, we can draw one important teaching from it. We must not underestimate the rigor and danger of God's holiness. His holiness repels impurity. Who can stand in his holy place? Only the pure of hearts. This is hard news. God's holiness is rigorous and dangerous. God cannot look upon sin. This is why at St. John's, we confess our sins and we pray for God's forgiveness and absolution before we approach his table to share in communion. Now this might seem like bad news. God's holiness can appear burdensome. Both Herod and David interpreted God's holiness as a burden. Their responses reveal to us that same temptation in ourselves. So one way we react when we think of God's holiness as a burden is by ignoring the Holy Spirit's call to holiness 
and instead we seek to justify ourselves. In this, we are like Herod. John the Baptist had warned Herod that marrying his brother's wife, uh, in marrying his brother's wife, Herod was violating the law. Herod knew in his heart that John spoke the truth. Mark says that Herod feared John, knowing that he was righteous. Nonetheless, Herod threw him in prison. And eventually, though Herod didn't precisely want to kill John, he ended up being committed to doing so because he made a rash vow. In killing John, he silenced the voice sent from God to call Herod to live in a holy way. The impulse of Herod's wickedness is common to us all. Have you ever ignored the prick of the Holy Spirit on your conscience? Have you become dull to his commands? Have you ever sought to justify yourself when your sin is pointed out? Are you doing it right now as I ask you these questions? I know that I have. I know that it is my first instinct when my conscience or my community points out my sin to me. When we do this, we imitate Herod. We quiet God's call to holiness. Another way we react when we treat God's holiness as burdensome is fleeing his presence. If God's standards of holiness put an impossible claim on our lives, we think perhaps we can avoid those standards by avoiding his presence altogether. When God killed Uzzah, David became angry and fearful. Angry because he judged God's judgment against Uzzah to be too harsh. Fearful because if God treated Uzzah in this way, he might also treat David and the Israelites harshly. He asked himself after witnessing Uzzah's death, how can the ark of the Lord come into my care? When we think of God's holiness as a burden, God begins to seem harsh. We start to see him as a cruel tyrant rather than a righteous king. This is how David imagined God when he sent the Ark of the Covenant to Obed-Edom's house. If God's presence will bring death to those who encounter it, I imagine David saying, better Obed-Edom than me. How often do we, too, think of God's holiness as a burden, just as David did? This sometimes even seeps into and corrupts our understanding and our presentation of the gospel. If in the story of the gospel, we make God's holiness a burden, then God appears to be demanding and demanding and demanding more from us, despite our weakness. He becomes a tyrant, knowing that we couldn't possibly meet his demands, yet continuing to demand them. According to this version of the gospel, God rescues us, from, Jesus rescues us from God's impossible demands. Jesus saves us from God. What a tragedy it is to think of our loving God in this way. Yet it follows as a consequence from treating holiness as a burden. Jesus did not come to rescue us from God. He is God. And he came to rescue us to God, to rescue us to himself. On this version of the gospel, the true version of the gospel, 
God's holiness is not a burden. Rather, it is a blessing. This is good news. This is the true gospel that Paul develops in the richly Trinitarian passage from Ephesians 1 uh, that we read this morning. Paul presents God's holiness as a blessing through a glimpse into the nature of our triune God. From before the world, God the Father chose us to be his sons and his daughters, and in so doing, chose us to be holy and blameless before him in love. The Father chose us in his Son, Jesus Christ, and blesses us with every spiritual blessing, including the blessing of holiness, through and because of the Son. The Son intercedes on our behalf from his seat at the right hand of the Father and promises us the Spirit who seals for us the destiny that the Father wishes to bless us with. Let me repeat that. The Father selected us to holiness and blesses us with the gift of holiness through the Son, who intercedes for us with the Father and sends us the Spirit, who seals the Father's blessing. Each person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, work together to bind us into a life of holiness as God's adopted children. For Paul, then, the Trinity is not an abstract doctrine. It is the inner life of the God whose holiness blesses us. May it be so for us. Paul's letter defeats the nonsense that Jesus saves us from God. No, he came that we might become children of God. And as God's children, be holy and blameless before him in love. God demonstrates to us in his word that his holiness is a blessing to us, not a burden, just as he demonstrated this to David. I can't imagine that David would have predicted what would happen to Obed-Edom when he sent him the ark. While the ark dwelt with Obed-Edom, God blessed him and his household. God blessed them so much that David came back after three months and asked, actually, do you mind giving the ark back? This is a beautiful example of God using someone outside the covenant with Israel to teach those within the covenant about that covenant. And as wonderful as this story is, even more is going on beneath the surface. 60 years earlier, the Israelites had battled the Philistines at Ebenezer. They brought the Ark of the Covenant onto the battlefield hoping that it would cause God to grant them victory. However, the the Philistines defeated the Israelites and captured the ark. They brought it first to their temple in the city of Ashdod. There, the idol of their god, Dagon, fell over in the temple, face down before the Ark of the Covenant and broke. and, And then the inhabitants of Ashdod grew ill. So they sent it to another city in Philistine, to Gath. The inhabitants of Gath, the Gittites, then grew ill themselves. The Gittites then sent the ark to Ekron, where the same thing happened. And so the Philistines, terrified at the havoc that the ark was wreaking, returned it to Israel. They had not realized that the ark, which they had taken as a spoil of war, 
was marked with the holiness of God. Because God's holiness cannot abide in purity, the, the Philistines suffered greatly for having captured it. After Uzzah died, David sent the ark to Obed-Edom, a Gittite. It means that Obed-Edom was from Gath, one of the Philistine cities that had suffered because of the ark 60 years earlier. Perhaps when David sent the ark to the home of a Philistine, he assumed that just as God had cursed the Philistines before, so he would curse this Philistine now. Perhaps Obed-Edom's family had been among those who grew ill during the ark's initial stay. But God instead blessed Obed-Edom and his household so much that David now longed for the presence of God to return to Israel. His blessing, Obed-Edom, was a wonderful reversal of the curse that had come upon the Philistines years earlier and a lesson to David to recognize God's holiness as a blessing. I want to end by looking at three ways the scriptures encourage us that recognizing God's holiness as a blessing will enrich our spiritual lives. First, doing so draws us nearer to God. Second, it brings us liberating joy. And third, it fills us with zeal for him. Because God's holiness blesses rather than burdens us, his calls to holiness invite us to draw near to him rather than to flee. Psalm 24 says that only those who are pure of heart can stand in God's holy place. It continues, such people will receive blessing from the Lord. What sort of blessing? Jesus expands on this in the Beatitudes. As we read the Psalm together this morning, perhaps you notice that the phrase from verse four, pure in heart, is repeated at a key moment in the New Testament. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus developed this theme from Psalm 24. Who may stand in God's presence? Only the pure in heart. And all those who are pure in heart will be blessed to see God. Unlike the Kohathites, who were not even allowed to look upon the ark when they moved it, those who are pure in heart will see God. The promise of blessing that Jesus gives invites us to draw near to God. One day, we will look upon his face. Understanding God's holiness as a blessing also brings liberating joy. David and the Israelites brought the ark of God out of Obed-Edom's house with great rejoicing. David especially was overcome with the joy of the Lord and danced with all his might. So passionate and free from self-consciousness was his dancing that his wife was embarrassed on his behalf. I know something about one's dancing embarrassing one's wife. <laughs> she grumbled that his behavior was shameless, but David's was only the shamelessness of one who had come to rejoice that God was blessing Israel with his rigorous, dangerous, holy presence. Finally, when we see God's holiness as a blessing, we will be filled with zeal for him. 
The following chapter of 2 Samuel offers a coda to David's joyful response to God's holy presence. After the ark settled in Jerusalem, David asked the prophet Nathan, how can God's presence stay in a tent while I live in a palace? He wished to build a temple for God. Overcome with zeal for God's glory, he hoped to build a house for God worthy of God's presence. Such is the heart of one who has come to love, not fear God's holiness. God's holiness is hard news. We must not underestimate it, nor may we try to temper its rigor or its danger. Hard as it is, however, it is not bad news. We ought not to flee from it or ignore its rigors. Instead, recognizing it as good news, let us flee to the triune God, who in the Father selected us to be his holy children, in the Son, performed the saving work that made our adoption possible, and in the Spirit, steals the promise of his holiness, of our holiness and his holiness. Let us trust that this God seeks to bless, not burden us, with his righteous, dangerous, rigorous, holy presence. And in that trust, let us draw near to God. Let us be free to shamelessly delight in his blessing and let us be overcome with zeal for his glory. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen.